The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garam Perra columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we are catching up with Duncan Crabe, Managing Director of Boss Resources. Boss trades under the code BOE, or Bravo Oscar Echo. It last traded at 6.3 cents for a market cap of about $117 million. Boss is ready to become Australia's next uranium producer from its honeymoon project in uranium-friendly South Australia. The project's about 75 kilometres northwest and across the border from Broken Hill in New South Wales. Legend has it that Honeymoon takes its name from a wood and tin shelter built in the area by a pastoralist for his honeymoon back in the day. I don't know if that's true or not, but what is more certain is that Honeymoon has been here before, having been a producer for a few years from 2010, originally under a Canadian and Japanese joint venture. It was as much as $170 million worth of established infrastructure left behind by the previous operators, giving Boss a flying start in its plan to get Honeymoon back in production. Unlike most other uranium projects, Honeymoon could be in production within 12 months. That obviously has important implications for the project to be able to fill the window of opportunity around new production and pricing when the market conditions are right. Investors are switched on to the boss story, having recently backed its honeymoon plans in a scaled-back $15 million placement, while boss prepares an enhanced feasibility study due for release in the first half of 2021. The study is essentially a technical optimization study which brings together a bunch of project enhancements, including the IX process. I will get Duncan to explain all that in a moment, but first I will welcome him to the podcast. G'day Duncan, and thanks for your time today. G'day, Barry. Thanks very much for uh, for inviting me onto your program today and uh, the opportunity to walk you through the Honeymoon Project and our ability to deliver Australia's next uranium producer. Fantastic. All right. Always a good idea, I think, Duncan, if we can give listeners a bit of a feel for your professional background and perhaps why in particular uh, uranium. Sure. I come from an agricultural uh, sort of background, but qualified as a chartered accountant in Perth and focused my career on the mining industry. So from initial stints on uh, various base metal projects as sort of CFO type roles to early 2008, when I was asked to join Kalahari Minerals and their 43% holding of extract resources, um, which was largely predicated on its HUSAB mine in Namibia Extract went on to become an ASX 100, and I've been purely focused on uranium since that time. Uh, That involved really eight years of of sort of focused involvement, Uh, four years preceding December 2016 as being the actual finance director building the HUSAD mine. So that that was a $2.8 billion mine build, and uh, we had sold it to China General Nuclear for $2.1 billion. So all up nearly a $5 billion uranium project, probably the mm. largest in the past, past few decades. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Uh, I think you'd be the first to admit there's probably easier things you could have done in the last 10 or 12 years, given the state of the uranium market. What is it about uranium's outlook that's got you excited to this day? Oh, mate, you're, you're quite right. I mean, I guess, you know, there's lots of other commodities out there that also have their time in the sun. But I just firmly believe that uranium will swing back and it is beginning to swing back. And, and I just see restart projects of Honeymoon as being really in that first mover advantage and able to, to be in that first wave of new uh, production coming on screen. So I can delve into the market if you like, but, but it's a very, very exciting market. And having been in the industry for so long and knowing so many of, the, of the, those involved, whether it be utilities or analysts or other producers, we're, we're in good stead here. Mm. Well, um, appreciate, uh, would appreciate your thoughts on the uranium market, but I thought I might um, frame it within... Well, what have become uh, buzzwords, important buzzwords at that, decarbonisation, global warming. Where do you see uranium's role in that? My, my firm belief is that I believe that uranium should play a part of any country's energy mix. When we look at it on a global scale, nuclear power accounts for 11% of the world's supply of energy. And together with solar, with hydro, hydro it has a key part to play. If we look at countries like France, where it accounts for up to 70%, to Sweden, to the US, where it accounts for about 20% of the energy mix, it really is the only opportunity or the only sort of form really of having baseload carbon-free power that's proven technology and has worked very well over the last 40 to 50 years. So when we look at the climate or sort of global policy setting of being carbon free by 2050, and it's quite reassuring seeing President Biden sort of echo these remarks, nuclear has a role to play in any country's energy mix. All right. If we all accept that and believe that, which uh, obviously there will be some people who don't, but um, given nuclear's existing uh, share of the world energy market and what we you've identified there as the you know critical response to decarbonisation global warming why hasn't the price moved yet oh it's a good point i mean the price is really driven largely on available inventories that have been in uh you know in surplus over the past few years so really um we post in the last four years what we've seen is that demand has steadily outstripped primary production. And then more recently, it started to take down available inventory. So this year was a prime sort of example where we saw that supply curtailment due to COVID-19 suddenly put pressure on the price and we saw a 30% increase in the spot price to where it currently sits at around 30 US per pound. But it's the term contracts that we focus on, which typically trade around 20 to 25% higher than spot. And we are beginning to see that increase in price occurring. And I think what, what you're looking at now as an industry is one that's been on its knees, um, that it won't get lower than where it currently is. And it's purely upside from here going forward. Yeah. In turn, now, if we take a look at the Honeymoon project itself, what sort of uh, pricing do you think the project needs uh, to get going? But basically, in our base case study price that we use in our feasibility study that was released in January of this year, we use 50 US per pound. And when, we, when I assess any mining project, irrelevant of which commodity it is, 
I consider those with an MPV of at least two to two and a half times the capital outlay and an IRR of 40% to derive shareholder value. And we can achieve that at US $50 per pound as a base case price. So, so that, that's roughly the price. What that means in terms of um, when we sort of correlate that to spot prices, we're looking at a spot price of around 40 US per pound to, to, to make it real, sort of in the high, high 30s, low 40s. Mm. So obviously from that we can take it that uh, Honeymoon is being set up to be a low-cost producer and obviously that is the case. I was just wondering what are some of the factors behind that ability to be at the bottom of the cost curve or near the bottom of the cost curve? Oh, well, what we've achieved in the past few years is really to, to lower our operating costs and increase our production profile and that's largely predicated on the use of iron exchange technology. So. The original mine was built as a solvent extraction type processing plant. What we've done is introduce iron exchange, which accounts currently for about 50% of the world's supply of uranium. It's what all the operations in Kazakhstan, the world's largest uh, uh, um, country of production, actually uses. So iron exchange is just a simpler process of producing. Um, together with that, we use in situ recovery as a mining process, so you do away with your expensive yellow fleet and number of employees and can really focus on deriving, um, um, you know, a cheap method of, of production. Mm. The, so there's nothing uh, to be scared uh, about for investors uh, with the IX process, even though it's probably not well known in this market. Well, no, I think, no, given that it accounts for over 50% of the world's supply of mm. uranium, I think it's actually a very proven uh, source of technology. I mean, what what we're we're we're, about, we're in the process of having just commenced is this is an enhanced feasibility study to look at having the whole production process encapsulating iron exchange. And together with that, we've started uh, sort of recruiting our own owners team. And by that, we've been able to attract some of the best international engineering experts to help us with that process. So people who are skilled in, in iron exchange itself as a production method, whether it's, and that's come from working on recent recent uranium operations. So no, I feel very confident mm. in, that, in that regard. Yeah. And what, uh, what is it about the process that delivers uh, the lower costs? Is it power? Is it reagents? Um, oh, that's a good point. It is largely, we've, we've announced the market in September that uh, we have been able to reduce the power demand that we get off the grid through the Broken Hill um, area, but but it, through a colder elution circuit. But it's largely um, if it relies on the use of using sort of resin beads in the NIM six columns, and that basically when you take your pregnant leach solution from a well field and place it into the columns, the uranium gets attracted to these to these microscopic sort of resin beads and from there we can take that solid that resin bead as a solid out and put it through the precipitation circuit to process your your final product into yellow cake so so it's, it's just a more simpler process than sort of uh, solvent extraction which relies on another set of soluble solutions and reagents trying to extract that material from the pregnant leach solution. So not wanting to get too technical, Barry, but but it is just a, a simpler process all around. Mm, okay, well, thanks for that. One of the uh, aspects of the project, of course, is its location, South Australia. How important is it to be located in South Australia? 
Uh, it's got enormous jurisdictional advantages. I mean, security of supply and geological landscape are becoming increasingly important to utilities. Uh, sustainability of operations. I mean, we keep seeing ES, ESG as being uh, key words in the in the in the mining industry, particularly in first world countries. So, with its environmental protection, that's also becoming increasingly important to utilities as to financiers. Um, and then, of course, you've got access to quality infrastructure and skilled labour, which is so important um, to distinguish. So, I, I, I think you know from a what the COVID has taught us is that the global pandemic continues to impact the market. And COVID-19 has effectively shown us that reliance on a, on a concentrated number of jurisdictions and suppliers for this critical raw product is a really unwise strategy. So geopolitical risk is prevalent in many regions, um, which are sort of responsible for the traditional sources of uranium supply. And, and that's the key advantage Australia and BOSS are in, that we, we can we can provide that diversity of supply and lower risk in a in a very stable and neutral jurisdiction, um, and to you know to also emphasise that um, we've also got established supply routes of over thirty years to all major Western conversion facilities. So these macro sentiments are very prevalent considerations for utilities uh, when they make procurement decisions, and and that's been reflected back in our recent discussions with fuel buyers. Hmm. Okay. Now, um, I'm sure everyone's aware that uranium mines uh, require uh, probably a, a more, uh, well, I won't say difficult, but uh, a more involved sort of permitting process. Um, honeymoon, fully permitted or not? It is fully permitted. And to, to sort of, you know, the icing on the cake was really the extension last year of our export permit in excess of three three million pounds per annum. So, that you know, we don't have any timeline drag on the onerous task of securing permits or, or approvals needed to restart production. It, it has taken up a lot of our team's time but over the years, but we're, we, yeah, we're proud to say we're, we're ready to go. And we're, we're the only, there are only four projects in Australia that have that um, fully permitted status. We're the fourth, we're the only one currently not in production. Uh, the others being uh, two of which are in South Australia and the fourth being the Ranger Mine in the Northern Territory that's going through its decommissioning phase. Right, okay. Now, I guess uh, we should give listeners a feel for the actual scale of the project. Can you talk a bit about the resource base the and the staged development plan and stage capex requirements? Sure, sure. From a resource base, uh, very respectable. Uh, we've got over 2,600 square kilometres of tenements. It's in uh, high-grade sandstone amenable to the in-situ recovering mining, I was just explaining, um, with our mineralisation basically at around 100 metres in depth. Um, our jork resource is 71.6 million pounds, but in our, in our base case study, the feasibility study, we're only utilising about half of that 34 million pounds to basically derive a, a, a sort of a two million pound per annum production rate. Um, so in addition to that jork resource, we also have a significant exploration target of up to 190 million pounds. So there's enormous uh, blue sky. And you know, this year, our geological team has been working on collating over 25 years of historical uh, exploration analysis from geochemistry work and geophysical type 
uh, uh, results to also looking at pastoral results that go back to from days of Rio Tinto to Southern Cross. So we've combined all of that data into one geological database, three dimension, uh, with defined drill-ready targets. So very exciting, and, and that additional resource as we exploit it and bring it into further JORC recognised resource will just increase that production mm. profile and mine life. But from a mine life perspective, as mentioned, 12 years at the moment, uh, at around £2 million per, annual, per annum production. Um, from a staged approach, we would be looking to restart the existing production plant uh, in the first 12 months. And by 24 months or in the first two years, have incorporated iron exchange to increase that production profile and lower our, our operating costs. What the, the critical part here is that the enhanced feasibility study that we're looking to, to now utilise as just one process may in fact just, just quicken that whole process. So of getting into a restart position and rapidly increasing our production profile. So very, very exciting developments sort of taking place there. Mm. And what would be the uh, rough call on CapEx requirements in stage one to get the SX plant going again? Uh, CapEx, I think his stage one was around 24 to 26 million. Okay, so um, very doable. Very doable. Um, but overall, you're looking at around uh, sort of 80 million in total. Uh, for the combined two two aspects, mm -hmm. uh, Australian that is, so around 60, 60 million US, 80 million Australian. Yeah, so mm -hmm. it's it's a very low capital outlay, particularly, uh, this is the advantage that any restart mine has, but particularly in uranium, I mean, that not many uranium mines have been built. The last one built was the Husad mine that I was involved with, as mentioned, in, in Namibia, and that was you know, that's going back to its commissioning in 2016. So there's not a lot of new mines that have been built. We're, we've got a proven mine that's previously exported. We've, we've found new technical um, uh, benefits and advantages to the process. And yeah, we, we it's largely the construction side is de-risked. We're just, we're just enhancing it. Mm. Uh, tell me, how do you envisage offtake agreements panning out? Offtake agreements, yeah, good, good question. It's something that we're involved with continually. Um, where our strategy marketing person, uh, Ms. Sashi Davies, who resides in, in France in the Northern Hemisphere, where you know the majority of nuclear power plants, of course, are located. Uh, she's in contact with fuel buyers almost daily. I mean, we're, we're in regular um, communication. We constantly enter into uh, these requests for proposals, and which is really the tendering process. And we also enter into off-market discussions whereby one can sort of deal directly with a utility or a fuel buyer. Mm. I'm seeing that what we're seeing is renewed interest in Australia for, for sort of reasons just outlined as to our jurisdictional benefits. Um, but what, what we are finding and some of the iterations that have come back to us is that we're of the non-existing producers, we're ahead of the queue we really will be one of the first to get back into or be awarded a contract. So, so currently, you know, existing producers are able to offer a lower price than what we can, but we're, we're also mindful that, you know, we don't want to destroy our resource at low prices simply to land an offtake. We know that new mines are needed. We know that prices have to rise to support new mines and we're in the box seat. So, you know, in the meantime, let's keep positioning ourselves ready to go um, as we're doing. Mm. And if you were asked to have a stab at just when 
everything might start gelling in terms of offtakes and raising the money for development, which obviously they're interrelated there. But I'm just trying to get a feel. Is, are we talking 12 months away, two years, five years? Oh, definitely. I would like to think within the next 12 months, certainly. Right. Okay. Six to 12 months, I would have thought. I mean, yeah. the market's pretty quiet at this time of year as we come up to, to Christmas. I mean, I think... You know, a lot of the utilities' budgets are full um, and there's been quite a lot of focus on the US elections in terms of which way the administration would go there. And I'm being US-centric because it is the most transparent of the markets and accounts for 25% of the world's um, sort of demand of uranium. Um, but those, those issues have now been clarified. We know that President Biden or President-elect Biden is, is um, very supportive of uranium being part of that country's energy mix. Um, and yeah, once once a lot of a lot of these issues for fuel buyers need to be clarified and cleared before they get the confidence of entering into long term contracts. So more recently, uh, fuel buyers have been concent concentrating on the sort of short to mid term market, but now they are getting the confidence and aptitude and engaging in conversation and looking at the longevity of a long term contact contract. Sorry, and which which uranium mines to partner with. Mm. I'm just wondering, um, when you look across the uranium space on the ASX, do you think BOSS is uh, fairly valued, given its uh, established resource, its production history, its near-term production potential, etc.? Yeah, thank you. I actually, no, I, I mean, I believe that we're undervalued. I think that um, I think the market probably doesn't appreciate some of the qualitative factors that, that uh, I've started to mention. I mean... When I look at, we, it's easy to look at metrics and pounds in the ground, but it's not pounds in the ground. This is a geopolitically sensitive commodity, and it's those qualitative aspects of, of having um, the permitting and community and the management time, uh, management team in place. It's it's the stage of development, capex ready, uh, the time to production, and having a low incentivised price to bring it back into production. So. Yeah, it, 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 is, it is challenging trying to, trying to compete with contemporaries. I think we all offer different uh, projects for different risk profiles. But when, you know, we are recognised as Australia's next uranium producer, we do have global credibility. And, and I think in time it'll be proven that um, being such a low-risk project that's got that first mover advantage will pay, will pay significant dividends. Mm, okay. So just to bring it all together, Duncan, uh, what should investors look out for, say, in the next three to six months from the company and the project? The next three to six months, the, the key milestone that we're working on now is the enhanced feasibility study. So that, that's something we can control. And we've already, we've made several announcements to the market. We're not able to front run the study, of course, but internally, if, if we consider that our feasibility study released in January of this year was one of the lowest cost producers on the ASX. And now we've got the confidence to do an enhanced feasibility study. I think you could be fairly confident that, um, you know, we've got some good, good results to show in the coming months. I would expect that project to be completed certainly within the first half of next year, if not sooner. So that, that is a key aspect. The second one would be what our exploration team uh, uh, achieve. Um, we haven't actually been doing any field work activity this year because of the sort of the COVID restrictions. It's been difficult to get traditional owners um, onto onto site, and fair enough. You know they've been reluctant to leave their old or 
elderly or travelling groups, but we've got drill ready targets ready to ready to seize upon. So so the exploration upside is very very exciting, and then more macro more on a macro level, which will really drive the whole industry, is to see the increase in, in uranium price and. And that we're all we're all anticipating, and we'll start start to see, I believe, early next year, if not sooner. We're already seeing um, some, you know, utilities are, are becoming far more engaging and and wishing to discuss the project. And um, yeah, that that would really really um, g up the market. Right. Okay. All right, folks. There we have it. Um, a newer and better honeymoon is on the way. Uh, one poised, it seems, to capitalise on. What uh, seems to be a, a, an ev- inevitable increase in uranium prices as uh, nuclear power takes its uh, lead, well, a lead role in uh, the decarbonisation of the world. So with that, I'm going to say thanks for uh, the discussion today, Duncan. Very interesting. Uh, particularly, the, I found the IX discussion particularly helpful. So with that, I'm going to say thanks for your time today and best of luck with the rule. Thanks very much, Barry. Thank you.